0: Welcome. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing sleep disorders in children. Joining me is Dr. John Purpich. He's a pediatric pulmonologist with BayCare. Dr. Purpich, I'm so glad to have you on Kids and Sleep. What a great topic. What a huge topic right now. How common
1: are sleep problems in kids? Well, thank you. Uh, You know, it, and, and I think anyone who has children will, will attest that that sleep problems or, or having a hard time in terms of navigating sleep in children, is, it's, it's, it's very common, right? Uh, um, and it's estimated up to 40% of kids are going to have some type of, of difficulty with regard to sleep uh, before they're even into their school age you know, period. Um but, but often these these challenges, these problems go unrecognized. And very often, I find the families don't really talk to their pediatricians about them uh, or they're just not sure is it something important that they should be bringing up, you know, you know really to anyone uh, when when really sometimes, depending upon what those concerns are, they really can be something that can be important and something that we need to address.
0: Well, tell us a little bit. as you just said, they can often go unrecognized because parents don't mention it just like you just said. But what are some of the consequences that you're seeing from poor sleep in our children? And I mean, they've got everything distraction now besides disorders. They've got all the electronics and the white lights. And we're we're noticing as parents, we're noticing some of these consequences. Speak about that a little bit.
1: Absolutely. So so regardless of the reason that they're having poor sleep, and I think later we'll talk into some of the different reasons why they may have poor sleep quality or, or, or not get enough sleep. But really, if there is something that's interrupting their sleep, it can really have wide-ranging impact, both in terms of behavioral challenges, but also even neurocognitive issues. Uh, uh, really, during sleep is a big part of where we, we – uh, consolidate a lot of the things that we've that we've learned over the day we kind of get some of that stuff sort of locked down in our brain and so if we're not sleeping well really can impact memory can impact learning uh can really cause uh challenges in terms of grades and poor school performance and then in our younger kids often you know you think about a sleep problem as making someone too sleepy but often our younger kids are are overtired, and it often presents more almost like ADHD in the sense of of problems focusing, kind of fidgeting, and almost being hyper. Uh, and so it almost seems kind of counterintuitive, but, but really behavior issues that are the opposite of being overly sleepy. So what kind of disorders are you seeing in children? You know, I think broadly, you can think about some of these disorders really into falling into two big groups, right? Either problems, Falling asleep or or problems that after you've fallen asleep, things that are either waking you up or having an issue in terms of maintaining sleep. And then Things that sort of lump under abnormal activities while you're asleep. Things that are happening while you're asleep, and and those are very broad categories. But but you know there's a a, a block of children and, and adults that have a hard time initiating sleep. Uh, and you had mentioned you know you know some of the kids with all of their electronic devices. Some of them uh, they're using for entertainment. But now especially with all of the you know homeschooling that we're needing to do and all of the computers we're, we're needing to to use. There's a lot of light and a lot of uh, external uh, input that that are are. Children are being you know, sort, of, sort of put right in front of their faces, and that's going to really often get in and in, in kind of cause problems with their own sleep regulation. So having a hard time falling asleep, having a hard time in terms of regular sleep time is a, is a very common issue. Uh, but then also just issues in terms of how long they're supposed to sleep, how, how well once they are asleep, are they able to you know, wake up and put themselves back to sleep, especially in our younger kids uh, can, can be an issue. And then probably the, the one thing that, that is the most uh, uh, you know, significant that we can do something about uh, uh, is, is something we call sleep disorder breathing. And so this is the group of children that are snoring or having turbulent airflow uh, and really having a difficult time in terms of, in, in terms of their sleep and their, and their breathing. And so that's also going to disrupt their, both their sleep quality as, as opposed to the sort of different activities that can happen while you're asleep. These are broadly known as our parasomnias. And and in general, most of these are normal, although they can often be alarming and, and things like teeth grinding or nightmares or night tears uh, that, that parents will, will will come to me and, and, and be concerned about. You know, the the you know nightmares often happen sort of uh, kind of later in the evening uh, as opposed to the night tears that are earlier in the evening. Um and you know, often if the kids are coming to you and they're re- and they remember that bad dream, that's usually more of a nightmare versus a night tear. But then sleepwalking, uh, you know, uh, sl- uh, sleep paralysis and, and other other movement disorders are also all qualified or uh, come under that heading of kind of parasomnias. And like I said, they're all considered normal. But if they're doing it more often, if, if they're having it where it really is frequently dis. dis- their sleep. It may indicate that there's an underlying problem like either seizures potentially or even sleep disorder breathing that's interrupting the, the normal rhythms and the normal movement in and out of our sleep stages and putting them at increased risk for those parasomnias.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about sleep apnea in children. How is it different Mm -hmm. than adult apnea? And tell us a little bit about how it's diagnosed. With adults, you know, there's sleep studies. Do you do the same for children? How do we figure that out? And if a child's not necessarily sharing a room with somebody, we don't always know. I mean, with adults, you know, usually it's a partner who says, hey, you're snoring, you stop breathing. But with kids, we don't necessarily know. How do you diagnose sleep apnea in kids and what are the treatment regimens for it?
1: Absolutely. So, so sleep apnea in children is, is very different than it is in adults uh, um, may, for, for a variety of reasons. R- r- of the, probably the biggest reason is the most common cause for kind of sleep disorder breathing in terms of, of uh, you know, sleep apnea. It tends to be what we call soft tissue hypertrophy. So big tonsils, big adenoids uh, uh, obstructing the airway and causing problems when the, when the child is asleep. Um, in the adult kind of world, the most common reason is obesity uh, um, and, you know, also causing that that turbulent upper airflow. Now, we, we do unfortunately have an a ever-growing problem with childhood obesity. So we certainly do have children that have problems breathing and problems sleeping at night because of obesity. But but the cause more often is related to, to big tonsils or big adenoids, maybe allergic rhinitis or other upper airway sources of obstruction. But, but it can be very, very subtle. And when we talk about sleep apnea in kids, we really have a lower threshold or lower bar. And so often the symptoms, you know, we think about snoring and you think about that adult that has those loud episodes there where the whole house knows that it's happening. But in children, often it can be very subtle, sometimes quiet and not really that loud. Uh, uh, the other challenge is that sometimes or very often they'll cluster their episodes in REM sleep. So when they're dreaming and during that P- and they tend to have REM sleep later in the evening. So really after everyone has gone to bed uh, and is, is when they're having you know m- more of their problems. And so so really the parents may not be aware that they're having any noisy breathing or snoring or or, or anything like that. Often uh, come summertime I'll get families. Be- because they've gone on vacation and they've been sleeping in a hotel room and then they got to, to, to hear what their child sounds like, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. But, but more often, it's looking for the, the sequelae, the, the, the symptoms of that, inter, of, of that poor sleep quality of that interrupted sleep. And so typically, that might be, you know, hard to get them out of bed in the morning, you're dragging them out of bed, uh, it might be that they're falling asleep, you know, when they're in the car, just falling asleep very easily, or having problems falling off in terms of grades, you know, falling asleep in class, or maybe even some of those ADHD symptoms. So, so if there are Some of the impact on kind of daytime performance issues, uh, uh, that might also be an indicator that there's something going on, you know, at night when they're when they're asleep. Um, And then in terms of diagnosis, you know, the usually still the gold standard is the is the sleep study. In adults, they you know they will do sleep studies at home, uh, but in pediatrics we don't really do sleep studies at home because it's a lot of a lot of things that are attached to the child and it's not a very normal environment and so it's very hard to, to do that at home and, and get a good study. Uh, so so we still do them at, 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 in the sleep lab, uh, but it really is a very good test that gives us a lot of information about. What's happening when they're asleep, and allows us to determine whether there is that turbulent airflow, whether there is snoring and and, and obstructive sleep apnea, uh, or whether you know, and make sure there's not something else going on, such as seizures, uh, uh, frequent periodic limb movements, or other things which, which which may be disturbing sleep. and And it's important because often in kids, when we're identifying sleep apnea, especially if it is significant the typical management is surgery, especially if they have large tonsils or large adenoids. And so when you're talking about a surgical procedure, you want to make sure that you've got good objective information to help you make that decision. And so that sleep study really helps you, provi- you know, helps provide that objective data so you can make that good informed decision. What great information.
0: Really so important. And in these days, and certainly this unprecedented time, Dr. Perpich, Our kids, like you said, are not necessarily in school. They think they're on vacation all the time. They're staying up late. (laughs) They're not getting quality sleep. But even during the normal school year, kids tend their sleep cycle can be way thrown off, circadian rhythms out the window. Give us your best advice, please, about sleep hygiene for our kids and how parents can get our kids, as you said, they even have to do schoolwork on their computers, how we can get our kids to practice good sleep hygiene because it's
1: so important for them. Absolutely. So good sleep hygiene and, and and getting a you know an adequate amount of sleep every night is, is so important. And, and by far and away, the most common reason for me to see a child, especially a teenager, but really any child that seems, you know, mom's bringing them in because they're sleepy during the day is going to be that they're not getting enough sleep. That that still always is the most common. And, and, and that's where taking a good history and trying to really figure out how much sleep they're getting is, is so key. And, you know, over the years, I felt like, you know, about twice a year, I would always get calls from news stations to do stories about sleepy teenagers around daylight savings time because of the shift of one hour um you know and there and that people would talk about sleep hygiene and circadian sleep rhythms uh, but now with this new environment where you know everyone is at home and and you know all of our kids are doing their online school but then you know, i have three children of my own and two of them are our avid Xbox players, you know, the, the 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 nighttime is not what it typically was during our usual school year, right? Our our kids are are in, you know even in with our best intentions, they're doing a lot more uh, uh, video game playing and a lot more things that that we're not used to uh, because it's such a different environment. And so I think in terms of advice, that and this is hard to do, um, and this is when the kids all look at me and they roll their eyes in, in the room. But following a good schedule. So you know you don't want to have you, you, the, there's an idea that well if I just stay up a couple nights late I can get my catch up sleep on the weekend or I can get my catch up sleep after a couple days and that doesn't work very well you want to have a good regimented bedtime you want to go to bed same time um, and you want to really minimize uh, that external especially light and even auditory stimulation. You know, for the thirty to forty-five minutes or so before bedtime, uh, you know that the AAP recommends not having a television in the bedroom. Uh, the station is just too great to turn it on or to or to use some of those electronic devices like like an iPad. Uh, um, and and so you know, just not even having those in the bed environment in the, the bedroom is 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 key. Because really, you know, and our youngest kids, you know, for the t- you know the twelve months, they should be getting you know twelve to 16 hours of sleep a night. But as you get older, the amount of sleep you need is a little bit less. But even into those that 6 to 12 years of age, we still need about 9 to 12 hours of sleep with our average middle school and high schoolers needing still 8 to 10 hours of sleep. And, and I don't know if you have many conversations with middle schoolers or high schoolers. It's, it's very rare to see them getting that amount of sleep. Uh, you know, in a in a typical night for a whole variety of reasons. So so trying to maintain a schedule, trying to have a normal bed routine in terms of going to bed at the same time every night and just making sure that we're getting enough sleep is really key and paying attention to the to that sleep hygiene in terms of what are they doing for that 30, 45 minutes or so before bedtime? You know, um, trying to avoid the electronic devices in the bedroom is, is, is helpful, but is often very hard. <laughs>
0: Well, it certainly is. Do you have any final thoughts about sleep disorders in children that you'd like the listeners to know and the care that they can receive at BayCare?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, I think, you know, in general, the, these, the you know, Sleep disorder, breathing, like I said, is very common. It certainly can be more of a challenge in our special needs population, children and any of our children that have other reasons to have low muscle tone. So certainly any of our kids that have any chromosomal abnormalities or any neurologic abnormalities, they're at more risk uh, to potentially have problems at sleep. And sometimes that will fly under the radar. But really all of our kids, we need to be making sure that we're paying attention to how much sleep they're getting, making sure we're paying attention to the quality of their sleep. And then talking to our pediatricians uh, and, and primary care providers If if we notice symptoms or problems Because very often the pediatricians Are not always going to be asking you questions About how your child is sleeping I think often people think Well you know dad snores and grandpa snores And uncle snores so it's just an inherited thing And it isn't right it, Snoring is not normal and if your child is snoring If your child is noisy or if your child is sleepy During the day that, that is not Normal and needs to be brought up to the pediatrician And then what's important is that then You know if there is a, if, if there is a concern Concern. You know, we, we have specialists like myself uh, within the BayCare system that take care of children that have sleep disorders. We have a pediatric sleep lab uh, there at St. Joseph's, and we can provide, uh, uh, you know, good diagnostic testing to help identify what truly is going on. And then based upon what we find, we we have the, a, a wide range of services, including pediatric specific ear, nose and throat physicians. We have craniofacial uh Physicians, We've got, uh, you know, cardiologists that, that, that run, you know, weight reduction clinics. And so, so really, I think within our BayCare system, we have a wide range of, of tools available to help us address what problems we, we may uncover.
0: What great information. You're an excellent guest. Dr. Perpich, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and telling parents really what they need to hear about kids and sleep disorders and our kids getting a good quality night's sleep. To learn more about BayCare's children's health services, please visit baycare.org. And that wraps up this episode of BayCare Health Chat. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other BayCare podcasts. For more health tips and great advice like you just heard here, please follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole.